Well, good morning. Exciting day today. Actually, tomorrow, uh, Teresa and I will have been married 24 years. That's a cool thing, huh? So keep praying for Teresa. I know some of y'all are thinking, how does she do it? Well, God's grace is big. Uh, so good. Uh, it was a September morning, 934 in the morning to be exact. When Lisa Jefferson, the manager for Verizon Airphone, got a call from Todd Beamer on United Flight 93, as he shared with her, he let her know that he realized that there had been a couple of other planes hijacked that morning that hit the towers in the Pentagon, but their plane was hijacked as well. And he told her that some of the other passengers and himself were going to take on the hijackers. But before they did, he wanted her to uh, promise that she would tell his family that he loved them. But then they quoted together Psalm 23. And then he asked her to pray with him the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer has been used from the the time Jesus gave it in the uh, history of the church for those who are desperate, for those who are needing comfort, for those who are rejoicing. And so we've decided over the last several weeks that we would look more closely at the Lord's Prayer. And I love this because the disciples had come to Jesus and they said, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus didn't say, oh, you just know how, just do it. Uh, Jesus said, okay. And then went through. And what that tells me is that prayer, appropriate prayer, is a learned response. It's just not however you're feeling. It's, It's a learned response. And you and I can learn to connect with God on a regular basis on the vertical plane. Uh, when he said the first petition, there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, is really a prescription of praise. Hallowed be thy name. And what he said is before you say anything else, as you come to him, you recognize that, that God, all I really want is for you to be glorified in this church, in this world, in my life, whatever that looks like. The, the second and third petitions were a stance of submission. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus said, when you pray, you come with the mindset that says, I'm not trying to get you to do my thing, God. I'm not trying to make you into my genie or whatever. I want your will to be accomplished. Your kingdom to come any way I can be a part of that. Show me how. Thirdly, the fourth petition, it was give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, when you come, it needs to be a disposition of dependence. I'm not just focused on my horizontal plane, all the stuff. But I recognize, though I might be rich horizontally, I'm bankrupt vertically, and without you, I'm just not going to make it. I need you, Lord. Coming with that kind of understanding, disposition of dependence. And then what we looked at last week was coming also with a focus on forgiveness. I recognize that when I come, I'm not, it's not entitlement. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not gracing you with my presence. Oh, God, I need you to forgive me. I violated your law. And likewise, all of my relationships on the horizontal plane need to be reflected with my relationship with you. You haven't forgiven me a little bit, or most things. You forgave me everything, and so I need to forgive all of those who've offended me. And then we come to the sixth petition. It's lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Fascinating, fascinating phrase. Uh, You know, is it uh, 19... 84, all you college football fans remembering this Orange Bowl, uh, Boston College playing the Miami Hurricanes. 
back-and-forth game. Last seconds, Boston College was behind. And Doug Flutie, remember this? Maybe a quarterback uh, just kind of about half, midway field, just kind of time expires. He just kind of chucks it into the end zone. And when you watch it, just like 500 players, I don't know where they all came from, but Boston College guys and Miami guys and refs, everybody's standing there. And somehow the ball falls into the hands of a Boston College guy in the end zone as time expires and Boston College wins. Yeah! That play has been, if you like Boston College, otherwise you're crying. But that, that play has come to be known as the Hail Mary play, right? It's named after the Catholic prayer that takes its a line from uh, the angel's uh, pronouncement meeting with Mary in Luke 1, Hail Mary. And in a football scenario, the Hail Mary play is exercised usually last play of the game. It's, it's usually last-ditch effort. You know, I mean, all your plans and your scheming and your strategizing and everything else has run its course. It's done. Time is just about finished, and you're finished as well. So you got one last second, and so you just kind of throw this thing up, praying, hoping, miracle happens, divine intervention somehow, God likes your team better, and you'll win. That's the goal. It's usually a play of desperation. And it's like prayer because desperate people pray doesn't matter if you're an atheist or agnostic or whatever your belief system is. If you're in a desperate situation, you don't even have to think about it. It may not be a conscious thing. You just kind of run to your creator, as you do. People who are facing court time, pray. People who are going through a divorce, pray. People get a call in the middle of the night that says something like, there's been an accident, you better come. They pray. People who hear a doctor say malignant, pray. Desperate people, pray. And people, met, blows my mind, but when desperate people pray to God, he seems to be okay with that. Though they've neglected him their whole life. I mean, if we went around here, how many spiritual journeys began with the plea of desperation? Oh God, help, help. This, this sixth petition is a huge petition. Very urgent in Jesus' mind. Now, we look at it and we go, but urgent in Jesus' mind. Have you ever tried to pray when your passions weren't there? You know when you pray when your passions are ignited. Oh, man, you're praying and you're there. But when you're really, your mind is going over here and over there and you're confessing stuff you never really did. And you're thanking God for stuff you're really not thankful for about. And you catch yourself saying heretical things and like, whoa, sorry about that. And you're just praying for stuff you don't care if it's answered or not. That's surface prayer. But Jesus, I think you're going to agree with me, has no throwaway lines in this prayer. That every line by Jesus, it's not like, oh, oh yeah, pray this too. Every line, pregnant with meaning, deep. I would say every line is a a value to be embraced. It's a necessity if you are going to have that vertical relationship beyond that plane. But let's look at this part of the prayer and ask ourselves, what does this mean? Because really? I mean, really, I have to pray? Lead me not into temptation as if I didn't do this. God would lead me into temptation. I mean, do I have to pray this? Can't I just assume that my loving Heavenly Father is not going to lead me into temptation? What is this about? And we, we look at Scripture and we look at James 1.13 where he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So why should we pray for God to not do something that he's already said he's not going to do? 
This makes no sense. What is this about? And as we look at all of Scripture, because we know no doctrine is complete unless it includes all of what Scripture says about it, we remember Matthew 4, where it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, who's God, right? The Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We go, well, what does this mean? What, what am I supposed to be praying here? Now, this is important because we can all parrot the words. How many times have we said the words? A million times. But if we're going to pray this sincerely, it's pretty important that we understand what Jesus is really getting at here. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 6 as we just close down our series this morning on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, we're going to be looking at verse 13. And I'm going to, what we're going to do, this is our goal this morning, to understand what this, what this piece of the prayer means so that we can pray it with a degree of, of, of sincerity. And so we're going to, I'm going to throw a lot of stuff at you, different dots, and then we're going to try to connect the dots and see what this means, so stick with me. But as we look at that word temptation, lead me not to temptation, we need to know that that's the same word that's, that's translated testing. Same word. It's not a different word. It's the same word as translated testing. And we need to know that God will never tempt us, James, but he does test us. If you remember way back when, Abraham, God came to Abraham as a test and said, Abraham, through your wife Sarah, we're going to have a boy. And this boy is going to turn into a great nation and the whole world's going to be blessed by him. I, the Savior is going to come from the whole world through this, this boy coming from you and Sarah. So Abraham was like, all right, it's a good plan. I like it. But, but he waits and waits and waits and there's no boy. And Sarah comes, goes through menopause and, and Abraham's getting old. And so he knows God's promise, but it doesn't look possible. And so he kind of fails the test. He decides to take matters into his own hands. He gets Hagar. A child comes through Hagar, which was going to create all kinds of trouble for, for Israel. But God is faithful. And the baby of promise comes through Sarah named Isaac. Several years later, God says, okay, Abraham, let's try this again. Last time we had that testing with Isaac, you know, his birth, you failed. We're going to try it again. And scripture's straight up here, Genesis 22. God was testing Abraham. He says, okay, Abraham, take your son, Isaac, the only one you've got through Sarah, the only one that the promise is supposed to come through, take him up on Moriah and kill him. Okay. This is last time, and then miraculously the baby was born, and I don't understand this, but God said, so okay. So he takes the baby. Now, according to the book of Hebrews, Abraham's really planning on sacrificing Isaac. He assumes, according to Hebrews, that he would kill him, and God would raise him from the dead. So just as he's ready to kill him, what happens is his angel holds his hand, there's a lamb caught in the the thicket, and, and he realizes he's... God says, okay, I was just testing you. Now I know your, your heart. Well, did God know Abraham's heart before? Well, yeah, 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 of course, of course he did. Of course he did. Did Abraham know his heart before? I don't know. I don't know if any of us really know until we're really tested. What, I, what would I really do here? But you've got to know Abraham's faith at that point after going through this and passing the test, his faith had to explode. This is the kind of thing that happens when you obey God, when you trust him. Now, now, 
God doesn't tempt us, he tests us. And so some of us might be thinking, it's just a semantical game that we're playing here, test, testing, same, same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, and be with me for just a moment, because this is going to get a little bit technical on this. Um, even though the event may look the same, even though it may actually be the same event, what makes it either a temptation or a test is the motivation of the originator. When Satan would bring it at us, Satan's goal is to destroy our faith. Satan's goal is to loosen, weaken our confidence in the reality of God, the goodness of God, the, the, the help power of God. That's his goal, to destroy us. When God brings it at us, it's like working out in the gym, his goal is to make us stronger, to make our faith stronger. And so sometimes something may come, and it may be both a temptation and a testing. It's going to be according to how we respond in this thing. Satan may be whispering one thing, and God's whispering the other thing, and we're kind of, whoa, what do, I, do I trust him or not trust him? How does, that, how does that look? How does that work? Also, let me bounce for just a second. Um, this text, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil, is written in Hebrew poetry. Now, a lot of the Old Testament's in Hebrew poetry. Not just the Psalms, but lots of, of, of the Old Testament's in Hebrew poetry. Now, generally speaking, Hebrew poetry runs on two lines. Okay, be with me just so you don't fall asleep. Yeah. Line A and line B. Okay, two lines. It's couplets. Line B's job always, always, always is to highlight line A. It, it's never different. It's not changing subjects. It's always to underline, to define, to clarify, maybe expand a little bit. But line B's job is always to assist line A, the message you're getting across. So if you don't understand really what line A means, you look at line B. It's there to help us understand. And so line B says, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some versions will say deliver us from evil, and while that is possible, you need to know that that's not probable. The grammar is just naturally, the, the best way to, to translate it would be deliver us from the evil one. But that's difficult for moderns. The evil one? I mean, I can understand getting away from evil, but the evil one? Yeah. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, it's talking about Satan. And Jesus is very aware of Satan. Matthew chapter 4, remember this? Jesus, we just, Jesus led out in the desert to be tempted by Satan. In Matthew 16, Satan comes to Jesus via Peter and tries to talk him out of the cross. And in Luke 22, it says, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Jesus was with Satan, battling with Satan the whole time. Now, we don't see Satan. We don't think about this. But this was, this was, this was life for Jesus. And I would dare say it's life for his followers as well. We might not see it. And I'm not interested in reading demons behind every bush. But as we deal with what scripture says, here's the reality. You and I created in the image of God. Satan knows that God wants for us what he wants for himself, to rule. Satan can't get at God per se, but maybe he can get at us and destroy that image of God in us. And he knows that God's plan to bring glory to himself in the world is dependent on us. And so if he can get at us, he's going to thwart God's plan. That's, that's the goal. Remember Genesis 3. 
This is, this is important. Because when Satan comes to, to Adam and Eve, he doesn't come to try to get rid of their happiness and hurt their health and bring a cloud over their sunshine. Actually, all that's going to happen. But that's not He's got bigger fish to fry. His goal is to separate them from God, to destroy their faith. That's, his, that's his, always his. He's not interested in, does I have a bank account and it's going to ruin my investments? He doesn't care about that. Only to the extent, well, that will hurt your faith. He might be happier for you to have lots because then you're not worried about God and thinking about God. Uh, Job 1 and 2. When Satan comes, he says, oh, yeah, Job honors you, Lord. But that's because you've given him everything. Take the stuff away and let's see if he honors you. In other words, let's see if he believes in you. His goal was to destroy, to separate Job from God. He comes to um, Jesus, Matthew, Luke, excuse me, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He came to Jesus, asked Jesus for permission to destroy Simon Peter's faith. That was his plan. That was his goal. That's what he's after. That's what he wants to destroy in Jesus' followers from the very from the very beginning. Now, it's interesting when you look at this to know that many years later, when Simon is writing to us, he says this. He says, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Are we there? There we go. Sorry about that. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. And Peter knows this personally. He realizes that this is part of, of the deal. So, in, in Luke 22, this is, don't, stick with me, we're still picking dots. How does prayer fit into this thing? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. That your faith might not fail. I, this is wild. You'd think he'd pray, but I prayed for you, Simon. You don't have to worry about being tested. I prayed for you, Simon. Satan ain't coming near you. He doesn't say that. He's letting Satan near him. He's going to let the testing happen. But I've prayed for you because the most important thing, Simon, I don't know if he even realizes this. We, I don't often. Is your faith. So I'm praying that your faith is, is stays intact because that's what hell is trying to destroy. That's what hell is, is after. John 17, 15. Look at this. This is Jesus. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's praying for us as disciples. My prayer is not that you keep them from testings and temptations and trials. Jesus, when he's up in heaven praying for you today, Romans 8, and the Holy Spirit's praying for you today, what do you think he's praying for? That you have a good day, that things are happy, that God's not what he's not praying for. Jesus lets us know, but that you protect them from the evil one. Same phrase we have in Matthew 6. Then he returned to his disciples. He's in Gethsemane and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. If somebody, I mean, let's, let's put some of these dots together now. Don't overthink this thing. Lead me not into temptation, but me deliver me from the evil one. What he's saying is when you come on that vertical plane, you're, you're saying, Lord, would you protect me? I don't want to fall. 
I don't want my, 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 you know, my feet are clay. You know how weak I am. You know, please, would you protect me? Because I'm going to get, I'm toast without you. I'm not going to make it. And if you're praying that on a daily, think for a second. If you're praying that on a daily, regular basis, please, sincerely, please protect me. Then you know what? You, you are, I got a heightened sensitivity to temptation. I mean, you're going through your day looking for anything that might be a trap. And if it is, you are going the other direction. You are getting away from, from the temptation yourself. You are seeking to avoid that. And what Jesus is letting us know is, y'all, it's not just about discipline, which is good. We need it, right? It's not just about trying harder. There is warfare going on. You need to keep in mind. I believe Jesus would tell here and and all over many places. Paul would definitely say this. That that you were at one point uh, underneath the kingdom of darkness. But you have betrayed Satan when you came to know Christ. And he doesn't like that. You've changed uniforms. And you need to know anybody who's praying... You know, I want your name to be exalted in this world. And I want your kingdom to be done, not mine. And I want, I want to be dependent on you. And I want to forgive as you've forgiven me. When you start praying like that, Jesus is saying, then you better be praying this part as well. Because you've got an incredible target in hell's eyes around your neck. And this is, this is serious stuff. This is, this is for real. Paul will say it this way in Ephesians 6. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. It's not against the horizontal plane, right? Flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our battle. That's your battle and my battle. We don't even think about this. Are we fighting it? Well, we don't think about it. It's a good possibility that in some ways we've our captivity even right now, we don't even, he's, he's working, he's blinded, he's taken us out. Jesus is saying, when you think about spiritual warfare and the devil, give him his due. We're not to be afraid of him, but I believe this, that if myself, if we could all see the power of hell, if we could see the awesome evilness of Satan, We'd be tripping over each other, going to the going to the throne of God, saying, "Please, would you protect me? Please, please, would you protect me?" Now, on the same hand, if we could see the incredible majesty of the church triumphant, if we could see the incredible power of God, we'd be tripping over each other as well. Because once we got there, we know we're safe. <laughs> Just protect me from that back there, as well. And Jesus is saying with this, you've got to keep in mind, life is not on the horizontal plane. It's on this vertical plane. You will be under a, a, attack. In Jude uh, 1, 8 and 9, or 9 and 10, it says, But even the archangel Michael, I'm guessing Michael's probably a little bit stronger and a little bit more secure in some ways. When he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, he did not himself dare to condemn him for slander. Didn't say to Satan, you lose. The Lord rebuke you. Yet these people, he's talking about false teachers, slander whatever they do not understand. Well, and if the devil doesn't like, we got to be real careful about mocking. And I'm just going to let him do whatever. And I, we got to be a little bit careful. We don't have to be afraid. 
We just have to recognize what's on. Um, he has protected us, praying for protection. If, in fact, we are all going to be equally protected, not a big deal. Just look at the history of the church. There are many people, are there not, who have fallen, who have folded their faith, who have trashed, who have walked away. We can't just assume, hey, it's all, it's all good. Jesus is saying there is warfare going on. And if you really can see it, if you understand it, then you are coming to him on a regular basis saying, please, I need your protection, Lord. I need to stay far away from sin. I need to stay far away from sin. It needs to not be a part of me. The methodology of Satan, real, real important. It's kind of got a big arsenal. But one thing we want to point out, in Matthew 16 we see this. Uh, Jesus had just told his disciples he was going to die. Peter had just rebuked him, pulled Jesus aside and said, it's not going to happen to you. You're not dying, Lord. And then Jesus says this, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You're not thinking about what you're thinking about. Now, I'm guessing, it's just a guess, but I'm guessing if you and I are right there, we're watching this. Uh, Peter's not wearing a black hooded toga type thing. He's not sporting a pentagram. You know, he probably didn't sacrifice his cat the night before and his head's not spinning and he's not levitating somewhere. We'd have no clue. Satan, are you serious? What are you talking about? This is like just normal Peter. And if you look at what he's saying, is he saying anything that's, that's we would think is inherently evil? No, he cares for Jesus. He just doesn't want his friend hurt. This is not, like, this is not a bad thing, right? He's just, he's a godly guy and he is. Don't, he's not demon-possessed. But Satan is working through him. Listen, one of the ways, key ways Satan works in my life and your life is among, through the people we love the best because our defenses are down. Godly people who might come to us with ideas and suggestions and thoughts. And they are godly people, but, but they're people. We are all frail. We all blow it sometimes. And so that's why Peter says, be alert, be conscious, be sober-minded so that you can recognize that because I don't care how much we love them. Our loyalty is not first to them. It's first to God and his word. And if in fact they come against, they don't mean to. Their, Their intentions are right. We hold to what God says. We need to be alert. Because the tax will come that will slowly destroy our faith or lead us down a wrong way, ultimately render us ineffective. That's what he wants. You know, we think that Satan's going to come at us uh, with spooky stuff, you know, and apparitions and just scary stuff. That's Hollywood's version of Satan. That's not Satan's version of Satan. Um, Keith Green, and I read part of this song a couple years back, but I, I love it. He, he, he writes, uh, I think the name of the song is Since They Don't Believe in Me Anymore. But he says, oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make your night look just like day. I can put some truths in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like just what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour and they're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind, my books read on your shelf. And have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They dabble in magic spells and they get their fortunes read. You know, they heard the truth but turned away and followed me instead. 
I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. You know, no one's watching for my tricks since no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. You've got the truth within. And as your life slips by and you believe the lie that you did it on your own, don't worry, I'll be there to help you share our dark, eternal home. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as day slips into day. The magazines and the newspapers, they print every word I say. The world is just my spinning top. It's all like child's play. You know, I dream that it will never stop, but I know that it's not that way. Still, my work goes on and on, always stronger than before. I'm going to make it dark before the dawn, since no one believes in me anymore. I think Satan's primary task for us as moderns, Satan, not believe in him anymore. Second Corinthians 11 lets us know that when he comes, he comes as an angel of light. It's good. It's all good. I mean, if really, if someone showed up in your house with a pitchfork and red and horns, don't you think you'd say, whoa, I should probably avoid this one. That's not how he comes. That's not what he, that's not what he does. So, when we pray, deliver me from the evil one. Don't lead me into temptation. We're praying, God, would you help me, please? Would you protect me spiritually? And here's a huge promise. If you've missed everything else, get this verse. This, everyone should have this one memorized. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Where it says, no temptation has overtaken you such as common demand. And God won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. I love this. Because he knows you. Satan knows your weaknesses. But God knows them too. And he won't allow you. I mean, Satan had to come to God for Job. Okay, Satan had to come to, to God for, for Peter. He's got to come to God at us. Why Jesus lets him, I'm not always sure, but I know this. No temptation has overtaken us, but such is common to man, and God won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. And so if we fall, it's not an issue of, what could I do? It's not an issue of, well, it's my personality, it was my past, it was my bank, and this and that. And Bottom line is, it's because we're sinners. That's why we fail. Which ultimately is why Jesus marched up Calvary, because he knew we were going to, even after we've come to know him, and took our sin for us, for us. If you pray this with sincerity, daily basis, oh my God, would you protect me? And you mean this, do you think you would be putting yourself in temptation's way? I think not. And so for some of us, we might want to be delivered from the consequences of evil, but evil itself, oh, you know, it can be kind of fun sometimes. I just don't want the consequences. God, deliver me from those. But, and we get upset when we can do whatever we wanted to do, but the consequences come and we pray for deliverance and he doesn't give them. God does not answer that, but it's not in the prayer. That's not how he's going to work. But somebody whose heart is, please, I don't want to, anything to do with wickedness and evil. I'm walking far away. There's deliverance. There's a promise. Now, as you, as you look at this verse in your Bible, uh, according to what Bible you got, if you have a new international version or English standard uh, version, you might notice that there is no, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You're going, wait a minute, where's that? Where is that line? It's supposed to be in here. That's part. Um, you need to know 
that, that that line is absolutely true. There are places throughout Scripture that assert those very things. There's no kingdom worth living for. There's no kingdom other than his that, that's eternal. You, you need to know that, 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 of course, his power is the only power that's strong enough to deliver. Scripture says that over and all over the place. Uh, that, that his glory is all that's matchless. Certainly, certainly, certainly. However, that line... Uh, is not found in our oldest manuscripts of Scripture. When the King James Bible was put together originally, 1611, a lot of stuff, a lot of archaeology has happened since then. We found a lot of other manuscripts. And so today, in our oldest manuscripts, most reliable manuscripts, that line is not there. Most probably, even though it's not unbiblical line per se, uh, truths, but most probably Jesus did not incorporate that as part of of this prayer, but it's true. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, as he wants to teach you and I to pray, you know, this is a prayer that we're not going to be able to pray in heaven. You know, forgive us, well, that's already taken care of. Lead us not to evil. Well, no, that's not around anymore. This is for us to, to live here, live now.